Welcome to season four, episode one of TK's A Brigade, the musician series. That's right, I'm TK. The first episode of the new season features an old friend. His name is Michael Hornbuckle, a legendary blues guitarist here in Denver. And his story is so compelling that I had to reach out and get him on. And when I did, he said, absolutely, Trav. We are going to get into a two-part series this week and next week with Michael. And we're going to discuss his journey, his struggles, his music, and his life. So turn up your radios as we dive in here on TK's A Brigade. Be able to hear myself like this. It always sounds funky. Right. Right? It puts puts me in a different zone. Because you're used to being in studio, right? Or do you play with no headphones in the studio? It just depends. Depends, yeah. I, I I feel you. I do another uh, podcast with a friend of mine who owns his own business here in uh, Arvada, and he can't. He recently had to um, get used to the headphones because he's not used to hearing his own voice. And I was like, "Man, don't worry about it. You just got to get up on the mic." And you know, he's like, "I'm not a musician, Travis." I'm like, "I know, but it's okay. You just it's okay to hear your own voice." So yeah, you'd be it's 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 a uh, it's amazing how many people. Um shy away from the microphone or or don't know how to like properly get up on the microphone yep Yep. i I have a my friend who does a series with me uh he does gaming and he said it took him like a year to get used to getting in the mic so when he was close to the mic not be so loud talking i said yeah man that's that technique it takes a while for some people so but yeah man so you're a native of denver right Yeah, grew up uh, downtown, or where? What part of uh, the city are you? Do you hail from? Well, um, Littleton. Well, this is your this is your stomping grounds. This area, and you 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 come from a family of musicians, right? Like your whole family, pretty much, is uh-huh. plays music. Yeah, man. Um, can't think of unless there's illegitimate kids that are out there selling cars. Brought my brother, my mom was, and my dad. That's how they met. Oh wow! Okay, okay. What's uh so that's kind of what got you into playing music? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And I mean, um there was Brian and I had instruments around us our whole life, but um Brian I think Brian and I's first love was uh heavy metal type stuff, so Okay. I started I was pretty naturally talented, so I I had a drum set since since as far as back as I can remember and I think I put together my first or I joined my first like heavy metal band when I was like eleven or something like that. You oh, know, okay. A bunch of older wow. high school kids like yeah. recruited me because I could play. Okay. You know, and and um, I think like a year or two into that, my dad saw that I could play a little bit, and more specifically, like I could swing and shuffle. Like I had a natural gift to like hear swings and shuffles, and he says, uh, "You're gonna come play blues with me." And I had, I really had no desire to play blues. You know, even though really. Like, Part of my love growing up was was like British blues and you know Led Zeppelin and stuff like that that was really influenced by it. Um, but it didn't take me long to to like really grow an affinity and and once I felt it, you know, once I I felt that it, it was it was all she wrote, you know. So um, okay. early on, we you know there's a lot of jam sessions that we would host, so I would get an opportunity to see my dad and listen to my dad play consistently, you know, while other drummers were kind of up on stage and. 
And I thought, you know, I'd always heard people praise him and, you know, just a lot of adoration. And, and then I started to get that. And there was a real influence that rubbed off on me by, by him. And I thought, um, I'm doing exactly what I'm, I was put here to do. Like I, <laughs> I, I, supposed to I really doing, yeah. started to feel that sense of self early on. And um, so, yeah, man, I was primarily drumming and with my brother was playing bass and it was a family deal and I didn't. I don't know that I fully understood back during that time how like unique that was and and um, what a cool period it, it it would be to look back on and say wow man that was that was our time together you know because he would get sick um, when I was about six sixteen or so and um, right around that that time with cancer he got sick with cancer and and he passed away I think I was seventeen when he passed away but I started playing guitar as a Geez, I don't know, man. I, I, I say it's, it was like a therapeutic exercise of mine, and um, I really like was drawn to the guitar and, and more specifically his old recording. So um, a big way that I was dealing with that time was I would smoke a little reefer in my grandma's barn. I was literally woodshedding it right in a barn, and and um, and man, I would play guitar for six, seven, eight hours a day. And just wow. with all his old cassette tapes and like VHSs, and I was just trying to learn as much. And it was, it was, um, it was one of the best times of my life. It, it, it was it, um, paradoxically one of the best times and one of the worst times of my life. But I was, I was so in, just obsessed with guitar, and um, couldn't wait um, to learn more. Did you have a favorite kind or style, like? I mean, and when I say that, like, you know, some people like the Gibson, some people like the uh, Ibanez. Like, did you have a style of guitar that you was? Yeah, man, um, pretty, pretty traditional tastes as far as, you know, the type of stuff that, that I would end up doing or was doing and blues and rock blues and that type of stuff was the guitars that um, I had around me through my dad. And it was Gibsons and, you know, Stratocasters and, and you know, periodically maybe a Telecaster, but basically Fenders and Gibsons tell you this story real fast he had this Gretsch it was like this really obscure Gretsch back in the 80s and he got it from my cousin his his nephew and we never knew what happened to this guitar he like (laughs) there were stories like he smashed it on stage or like he pawned it to a drug dealer type stuff right Um, but it got lost in the mix somehow over the years and there's like old promo pictures of him playing this Gretsch and I really like liked this guitar because it was like thin bodied like a SG or something like that anyway my brother calls up about two years ago from, um, I think it's called Music Around, the a music store down in Littleton. He goes, Oh, yeah, yeah. He goes, He took a picture of this guitar sitting on the wall. He goes, Hey, man, uh, this is sitting down here. And we had never seen another one like it, right? Right. One of a kind. They're very obscure. Sure, sure. So, what would end up happening is I rolled down there and um, I didn't have the money for it at the time. But I think my birthday or Christmas was rolling around, and, and, and I noticed it was not on the wall anymore. One of these times I rolled into the store, and what would happen is Sarah bought it for me, presented it to me on my birthday, right? So she oh, got wow. me this guitar. And I'd be damned if I know if it was his or not, right? Sure. But there was one thing my dad taught me about stringing the guitar. Okay. And he would wind it as much as he possibly could on the spool. Okay. And, and he would say, you know, that'll reduce the chances of, of the string breaking. Right, and instead of clipping them, he had these big, callous, strong hands, and he would grab the string that was the the the, the, the remainder of the string and Jimmy, and it would it would rip. Okay. Oh. And wow. so 
the hole that the string's poking out of, it would be kind of like slivered in there. Right. And man, I, I went, I got this guitar and I brought it down to my basement to restring it and clean it up. The strings were wound like just like they that. were these old strings and and um i looked at it and and i had this moment of i'll never know for sure if this was his but in my mind that was all i needed to know so sure. i mean it's kind of a calling card right for your dad i mean because i don't know anybody that and all the guitarists and all the people that i've ever been guitar techs it's always clip or snip or something or just leave it hanging but ripping it off like mm-hmm. that's... or twirl them up or something like that. Right. Yeah. There's been this weird yeah, guitars have energy, man. Make no mistake about it. And, and, um, you know, it's not just that guitar where, um, um, he's kind of spoken through to, to Brian and I. So anyway, that was a really cool thing that came to pass, but yeah, early, early on it was the Fenders and Gibsons. And, and then, but I had always this question about this Gretsch guitar that was around when I was a kid and, and, uh, it, it may have presented itself and found its way back home. When you started really like investing your time into playing, like, were you uh, were you writing your own music or were you focusing on like covered tunes? Like, what was your what was like your goal? Was it just to play music because you loved it so much, or did you have like a goal in mind? You wanted to become famous. Like, what was your like, what was your end goal? I wanted uh, first and foremost to be able to sing and play at the same time. That's a talent, Brian, my my mom and and dad and. Um, they, they, they could all sing and not only that, but my dad was an amazing singer and player at the same time. Right. So, um, I, I really honed in on that. Um, that being said, I was learning, um, you know, songs that we'd been doing with him that I had been doing behind the drums. I was learning songs that, that I grew up with. Um, um, but I was always writing along the way. I had always, since I was a kid, written lyrics and and um, heard melodies and um, it was inside of me so um, I, th- I think right around that time I, I started tapping into that um, and and you know that would take really that would take precedent um, as, as time progressed because um, I, f- I felt like what did I feel like I don't know I felt like I had something to say you know um, and and um, more than just with the guitar, like your words were starting to speak along with your ability to play. Right? I'd like to, I'd like to think so. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm just saying it's funny because you know the the, the verbiage of words versus you know making your guitar talk, mm. right? You and I did a a, a song a few years back uh, called "Love Has a Way," and I remember distinctively listening to the original progression when I started that song, and you were the first person that came up. And I had through two or three people within that week say, you need to get Hornbuckle to see if you'll play on this song. And the reason that I knew that I wanted to come to you is because I had heard music that you had done prior to this. And I was like, he's going to make this guitar talk. You're going to make it sound like the guitar is talking and, you know, metaphorically. And sure enough, you know, at the end of it, bro, that's what you did. And so when you're explaining the fact that, you know, you wanted to be able to sing and play guitar, you know, with without looking at your fretboard, right? Like you're just playing and you're singing and because you're focusing where you're going with your notes and everything else. But the guitar is such a fluid, you know, motion that you're not thinking about your changing chord progressions. You're, you're just doing it because it's natural, right? So you're singing and playing. That to me, like that ability 
I've been trying to do that for 20 years because I'm so dominantly left-handed that I can't play guitar left-handed, but you flip it over and I can play all day. Mm. And I'm not a guitarist. I'm just saying, I mean, I can play for whatever. But I'm saying, like, that ability to be able to play guitar and sing, like, that's a talent that, I mean, I think that's a small niche of people. And I know there's billions of people in the world, but back to my original question. So at what point were you able to play and sing? Were you, okay, now I want to go and record a record or... Like, where, where was your mind at? What, what were you, like, what was your next step? Yeah, I, I mean, and, and that's what we did. Um, I love how you're so, ca- I love that. you just like, that's what we did. <laughs> and you've got your brother, Brian, right? You've got him playing bass primarily, right? Because that's what Brian's uh-huh. instrument is bass. So you're on guitar, he's on bass, and you guys are like, let's go, the Hornbuckle Brothers. Yeah, I mean, you know what What originally happened is is we both wanted to play guitar when my, my dad passed. He, he was already playing bass, right? So... Our first couple rehearsals, as as Brian and I fronting a band, right? right um, he was playing guitar. Okay, and that lasted all but about two rehearsals, right? Because oh, because man, I started like I I just like took over the guitar, like I started progressing so fast. He said, "I'm going to go back to the bass," and uh, he threw in the towel. Thank God he did because he's such an amazing bass player. But oh, um, amazing, yes, I agree. Um, but yeah, the, I, I got I don't know even if, know if I would have remembered that if you didn't bring it up. But yeah, he st- <laughs> we were just gonna be, we were both gonna fill my dad's foot uh, uh, shoes with playing the guitar. Okay, you know, and what do you what do you do um, when you start venturing down and devoting your life to this path? Is you, I don't know what do you 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 think about? I got to record, right? I got to get right. a product out there. I right. got to get known, right? Right. I got to start selling. A product and and um so we we threw together an album's worth of songs and i think there was a couple i'll quote quote unquote originals on there basically there were some oh what would i say um just one four five type type blues boogie songs that i just threw my own lyrics over right so it was about as original as that Sure. Right. But you're just starting off at this point, right? So we're you're just, just starting off, man. Yeah, but yeah, but right. I'll tell you, things started happening like really fast because what do I want to say, man? It was just like it was a it was kind of a magical time of Brian and Brian and I coming together as brothers and and um, teaming up on this and devoting ourselves to it. And there were so many people around us that rallied because they loved my dad so much. You know what I mean? Sure. So, like, there was this momentum. And we got in the studio with Mike Nile. If you're not familiar with Mike Nile, he was um, the bass player for Spirit for a long time with Randy California. He was also a dear friend of my dad's and, and a renowned producer who did, like, and he did the Dirt album for Alice in Chains, right? He was the producer, oh, wow. <laughs> right? So he's got, yeah. he's got a resume. And, you know, he got my brother and I in there, and he... Yeah, I think he brought in some Marshall stacks for me and got me like a killer tone, you know, like he, my brother and I's first real recording experience, right? So it was, it was really, it was really cool. And, and, um, he taught me a lot in those first sessions. He taught me a lot and, and, and particularly about lyrics. And so I would have these lyrics in front of me and I'm in the vocal booth and I'm struggling, right? Trying to get this phrasing down. It's all new to me. Sure. I'm just now learning that I can find notes and stuff like that. And yeah, I have a yeah. little bit of soul to my voice, mm. but I, I'm not there yet. Okay. Right. And he's giving me pointers and he will tell me things like, um, let me see that. Let me see those lyrics. Well, we can ditch that word. Let's ditch that word. And he would go line by line and say, we don't need all those words, you know, 
Um, let's get a, get rid of as many syllables as we can. Yes. Um, and then, you know, he would pause the tape and kind of like sing, show me some different phrasing and uh, really uh, um, give me some, some good pointers and work with me. And he was really patient with me. Anyway, um, so that's what we did. We made that, that CD called Pass the Torch. And to this day, man, <laughs> it's really hard for me to listen to, but people's still remember it and you know if they lose it they say man i really need another coffee <laughs> you know, you're like, i wanted to die <laughs> right <laughs> totally yeah yeah I, i've been there you yeah. know what i'm talking about. oh yeah. yeah and by the way thanks for the compliment earlier man and for i don't know who's going to be listening to this if i got friends that are going to listen that don't know who you are like like tk's a really good songwriter man and like thank you the stuff that we did together man it was really an honor to be asked to do it and it, and it was it was a joy well, so yes yeah, thank i you. have always been inspired by your ability to play music and i've seen you perform probably a dozen times and it never you know what's funny about live musicians is you can listen to a recorded take and you can do it 300 times in the studio until it's perfect but listening to somebody get up on stage and perform and you go, that's exactly what I heard on the tape. Like there's obviously there's variation, you know, whatever. But as far as like the consistency and I remember the first time I heard you on tape and I was like, OK, this guy's really, really good. So back in the day, I used to bounce at this bar in Fort Collins called Archers. I think he was off college and Horsetooth. And Danny Masters used to come in there all the time. And your brother was playing bass for him at the time. And I believe that at one point you both were playing with him. Um, I don't know if, if that was the story, but I, I distinctly remember your brother, Brian, and that's why I remember years later going, I know I've met you before, and then we talked about it. But I had heard about the Hornbuckle Brothers for years through the music scene in Denver and in Fort Collins, and people were like, you've got to hear these guys. These guys are amazing. And I didn't know any backstory. I'm, I'm from Iowa originally, so I came out here and, you know, listening to the Colorado blues, or I'm from the Midwest, like, I grew up with St. Louis, you know, Memphis, you know, that influence coming into Chicago and, you know, that mindset. And then I heard about you guys and, and it was crazy because uh, your cousin Lonnie from Loveland, I've known Lonnie for 25 years and he's been in this, my circle with the friends and the, 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 the people that I've known. But hearing your, um, your first time on, on, on tracks and then hearing you live, I was like, this dude's just as good live as he is recorded. And so... When I asked you to come on, and I say this as a fanboy way, is that I was I bragged about you playing. <laughs> I still brag about it. I, I'm no joke, man. I'm not again, not blowing smoke, but listen to the song. Oh, by the way, and they're like, who's a guitarist? I'm like, oh, that's Michael Hornbuckle. They're like, oh, okay, yeah. I'm like, yeah. And then here's here's all his accolades. Blah 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 blah. And then I brag about you for like five minutes. So that's my fanboy. But all right, man, cool, man. You know, I think musicians are a different breed, bro. You know, it really. Um, there's so many things that I've seen similar in the mindset of musicians right um i have my uncle he uh he played music all through high school uh started playing in a rock band toured for seven years as a drummer uh was a raging alcoholic and you know he came to a point where he was on tour and he was so drunk he couldn't sit on a stool and he fell off the back of the stage uh and it woke him up and he's been sober now for 40 years but it took that kind of thing to happen for him to say okay you know cause and effect of my actions are where i'm at and so you know i don't know that you know i'm not saying that every musician obviously deals with something like that i just see that that breed you know the the, the mindset of, of that creativity you know it seems to lend to certain types of struggles and 
I don't know. It, that's something that uh, me personally, yes, I've struggled with that too as well. So I want to circle back to that topic a little bit later because I do believe it plays into your journey and where you're at. So do you remember the first big show you ever did? Yeah. Yeah, I sure do. You know, and, and, and like I was saying earlier, how things were kind of happening um, at a rapid pace was that um, my brother at the time was playing with Steve Crenshaw and, and Lewis and Floorwax kind of pick them up to start doing doing stand-up at the time um, on the side from the radio. Was that the Groove Hogs? The Groove Hogs hadn't started. Oh, okay, so, okay. So, so how, how, it, how it evolved, though, was, was um, Steve and Brian, the Steve Crenshaw band, would open these comedy shows, these, these, these stand-up shows, and then they would close them. So after they both did their stand-up, they would play the rest of the night, right? So um, Steve was doing a party at Rick's house. Steve and Brian were playing in the basement, and I showed up. Oh, this is getting good. And... Um, I sat in, and uh, they all kind of came downstairs. They were kind of came with like a "Who's that?" type. Right. Thing. And I think it was the next morning or the following morning after that that um, they had me on the radio with Steve and Brian. Wow. And and so I owe so much to them because it, I mean there was no like hesitation on their part or like clearing it with powers that be like the you know like they have to do now type thing. It was just like man, there's these. There's these dudes in town, and they're coming on our show, and like, right? And we're total believers, right? So, um, and then I think in a couple weeks from then, we were all sitting on Red Rock stage, opening up for the Doobie Brothers, and that came about by them. So we would do these comedy shows, and 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 um, Rick would end up wanting to sit in on drums for a couple, right? Of songs, and Floorwax would end up wanting to sit in, singing a couple. Yeah, of songs. I remember that. So that first initial show was the first like carnation i okay. guess of what would become the groove hogs which was basically the steve crenshaw band, okay okay you know but because they started sitting in then they started recruiting who they wanted in their band and brian and steve and i i think were like the core of it to begin with um so you know 17 years old yeah brian was also a young man he's a little older than me but we had just playing, really, wow. right? And and we're getting this opportunity. Granted, but Rick is still on the radio. But back then, they were already legends. Oh yeah, because right? because radio was so huge. Absolutely. Back back then, and and they like owned the market in the whole region up and down the front range. Um, so you know when they have us on or they're playing, because you know I had a little crappy recording that I made and they threw it on the radio. Wow. Right so like. If, when they're playing that, it's really going out to like this huge audience. You know, it was a big deal. It was a big deal. Sure. And in my mind, um, I was becoming a big deal. Right. So the ego was starting to grow, and yeah. you were starting to get the like you were talking about earlier, the accolades, the adoration. Yeah, the loss of self. I would call okay. it. Okay. It's a good um, good way to look at it, as far as you know, looking back, the hindsight. The beginning of the detachment from self, man, and and. Um, you know, you talked about us being a different breed, and, you know, I guess I would agree with, with that. Um, I know for some of us, some of us have to venture pretty far out into the forest, you know, and hang out there for a while. Yeah, good metaphor. You know, some people have a little bit of scrape with with the trees, and, and they, they come hauling ass back. But um, I think right around that time, I know you started venturing down this path, but um, the only thing that got in my way was me, you know, and... and um, uh, things spiraled. Boy, did they spiral um, in a self-destructive sense. And 
um, it's too bad. You know, I, I really try not to have too many regrets about the past, sure. but I look back on it and there were so many wasted opportunities and sabotaged opportunities. And, and you know, I'll see young guys now with opportunities that they're taking advantage of, and there is a piece of me. There is a piece of me that, that has jealous envy. And I'd be lying if I told you different. Sure. You know, because, um, you know, we will do our best if we're lucky enough to see the other side of this. I don't wear the cloak as heavy as I do of, of regret, but um, it's it's there. You know, it's there be, because um, it's, it's, the, it's the prodigal son journey. You sure. Know? There was so much squandered, sure. you know, and you become painfully aware of it sometimes. But... We also say it takes what it takes to get you where you're at, you know, and like I wouldn't trade my life today for anything, man. It's so blessed. Sure. It's so blessed and so Amen. Many, I agree. You yeah, know what yes. I mean? So so many good things have come to pass and, and God forgive me for ever being ungrateful, you know, but there is that old rock and roll fantasy and you asked me about that earlier and yes, that was a thing that was just innate in, in Absolutely. Because you, know, you want the big stage. You want the recognition. You want to be adored and for that to be the aha, there I am. That's my sense of self. You affirmed me, right? Not only you, but a lot of you. Right, <laughs> thousands and thousands, thousands of hundreds of thousands of times. Yeah, mm -hmm. yes, yeah. So for for every for every for every bloke, woman that's sitting on that big stage, you know, uh, make no mistake about it. There's 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 hundreds of people on on sh on street corners in certain cities that'll cut their heads off, you know. So it's it's a very unique um, circumstance where people are able to hit it big, you know. No doubt, does it take hard work? There's 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 a lot of hard work, and sometimes people just outwork other people, man. And that's a big part of it today. Um, that's true talk, man. That's, but there's yeah. some, there's some cities and some places in this country, man, where you will be humbled. Mm. You know, so like I don't care anymore. I don't care anymore. Like it's not very impressive the the the, the big career that people have. In sure. some sense, it is, but not for the old reasons. You know, if you can move me, if you can move me, that's it. You're there's the truth. You know, it doesn't matter what stage you're on or not on, right? So that's been a kind of like a reconciliation over the years. And I, I, I know I kind of got off the timeline a little bit, but... No, you're good, man. I share in your heart. I love that. But is my my perspective on the whole phenomenon that is the music industry. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, and, and working my way back around to truly being true to myself. Boy, what a journey, you know. You said the Doobie Brothers was your first big uh -huh. show, um, yeah, yeah. and you were playing with Lewis Florex at the time. Yeah. So, funny story. Groove Hogs. Yeah. The Groove Hogs, yeah. okay. So, back in 97, I was living in Fort Collins, and I was delivering bagels in the morning, and I was delivering them all over Fort Collins and Loveland. Well, I would listen to the morning talk shows, and Elu and Ricky were my favorite. And I'd call in during their segments, because you know how they always did segments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would, I would come up with stupid... I mean, sometimes the stories were true, or, you know, they were you know, bloated just to try to get on the radio. But I would call in just so I could get on the radio because I loved listening to them talk. Mm -hmm. And their chemistry on, you know, live on the air, dude, it was five days a week, you know. And I would, you know, I would listen until they were done. And and so it's funny when, well, you're right, when the, um when and they started putting their music together and, you know, Rick's like kind of joking on the radio about wanting to play drums, but then you'd go out and see him live 
but there's two drummers on the stage. Right. So, you know, he's, you know, he's carrying the, the time, but right. then you've got this really good drummer and <laughs> no offense to Rick, because I think he's gotten really good over the years. Right. But, um, you know, you'd see him and then you got Florax up there and, <laughs> you know, he's, he's kind of just, you know, walking around the stage and they're doing yeah. their thing. But um, it's crazy that you say that, you know, the Doobie Brothers was the first big show because that kind of just set your career as far as just playing with so many different people like i've seen i won't drop names i'll let you tell me whoever but oh. i've seen some big names in there and so i'm just curious like if, out of all the artists that you've played with over the years like who do you feel was the most influential and then who like who did you have the most fun like working with vince converse vince yeah you know and 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 of all the like the 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 big star type people yeah, I, yeah. I was i was never really um, taken by that until we got to do a show with Johnny Winter. Johnny Winter's and, wow. And, and that was a moment where I thought, oh, this is so cool, man. <laughs> this yes. is so cool. And, you know, it, it, as time went on, I got to do a couple shows with my band with him and stuff like that. Sure. So, um, those were big deals to me because um, he meant so much musically to, like, our family growing up as, as far as influence. Anyway, um, but I met Vince, uh, uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with Vince, um, he came out of Texas and I met him through Lewis and Florax. He just happened to be at a rehearsal one day. I think he rolled through town and his, his stepdad at the time, however it came to be, he was at this rehearsal and they said, he's going to sit in, this is Vince Converse. And I thought, Vince Converse, I know that name. Right. Because when Stevie Ray Vaughan died, um, there was... There was these three dudes coming out of Texas, right? And they were like supposed to be the filling Stevie Ray Vaughan shoes. Okay. People. Wow. And it's big shoes to fill. <laughs> totally. But they, um, one was Chris Duarte. Okay. I've heard that name. Yes. Yeah. Um, another was Ian Moore out okay. of Austin. And there was this other dude named Vince Converse. And I was familiar with all three of them, of course, because that's, we're in the same genre doing the same thing. Right. And Vince right. was in a band called Sunset Heights and Vince had toured the world and he's got a video on like... European MTV where he's like got the whole Steve Ray Vaughan outfit and like this this old convertible Cadillac with the girls in a desert and stuff. Right? Wow! <laughs> so, and like, this is what yeah. like the nineties or yeah, you, totally. Okay. okay, totally. He had he had been doing this thing since like the the early nineties on that level. Sure, right. So he's he's at this rehearsal. <laughs> like that's that's that dude. <laughs> that's that dude, right? So you've heard all about him, right? Like you've heard his music, and then now you actually get to see him in person. You're like, wow. Y yeah, it was a little bit of a wow. It was one of the. It was like um um. What I want to say, I don't know. We hit it off right away, though. Sure. And we did this first show. First of all, when we started rehearsing, he sang. And Johnny Lang was really big at the time. Oh, and yeah. Vince had this like big, like gargly, whiskey type voice. And I okay. thought, holy moly, man, this dude sings like a Johnny Lang. Like, <laughs> right? So I was like all blown away. And I thought, this is going to be cool. And we did a show at the the Stampede, you know that, that Greedy Stampede, the country joint, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a huge show. I don't even know if we were opening up for someone. I think it was our show, and it was monstrous, man. We had such a blast, right? Just Vince trading, everybody was getting it, man. I thought, man, this dude's cool. <laughs> this dude's cool. Like we yeah. hit it off on so many levels, and and he said, um, dude, let's tour, let's tour together. And I thought, hey. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, time out, time out. So, okay, so 
that was all the time we had for this episode. However, we are going to dive into the exciting conclusion of this story next week. That was an awesome first part of this series with Michael. It is riveting. I am excited for everyone to hear it. So stay tuned for that. You have been listening to TK's A Brigade. I am TK. You can find us on every major platform, Anchor, Google, Amazon, and Apple. Go like, subscribe, share, leave a question or a comment. Until next time.